0: It's the Media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. You know what really ticks me off? Sports superstars who don't want to play ball with the press. I mean, here you have these athletes, and they're making zillions of dollars. And one of the reasons they make zillions of dollars is not just that they're very good at what they do, and I'm a big sports fan, is because they get all kinds of publicity. It's not just the matches, uh, regardless of what sport it is. Uh, But because they uh, the media build them up into these superheroes and then suddenly it's like, oh, I don't want to talk to the press. Screw those people. When those people and I'm not defending all sports writers and some of them are a-holes, are the ones who made you famous enough that you can get the big endorsement contracts. That's how it works. So here's Naomi Osaka, and I really liked her. I mean, I had never really been familiar with her until three years ago when she beat Serena Williams in that tennis final where Serena was uh, penalized, and it was this huge controversy, and it kind of marred her first big win. But since then, she's become a bona fide tennis star, and I think she's gotten really good press. She's nothing to complain about. Well, here's a story that says Naomi Osaka won't be speaking to the media at the French Open this year, why? To preserve her mental health. Uh, so she, here she is. She's representing Japan. She goes to the French Open and she says, you know, I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings very true when I see a press conference or partake in one. Uh, this is some kind of statement that she put out. Uh, I'm just not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. I've watched clips of athletes breaking down after a loss in the press room. And I know you have as well. I know the whole situation is kicking a person while they're down. Well, I'm sorry. Grow a thicker skin. You don't just... I mean, you can do it. What happens when you do it is that you get fined. And she says, okay, she's willing to pay the fines. It's going to be thousands of dollars. Obviously, I guess she has enough money that that's not a big sacrifice for her. Uh, Apparently, she's not the only one back in 2016. Venus Williams paid a $5,000 penalty in order to skip discussing her early exit from the Australian Open. Uh, other people have played fines. Serena was fined uh, $4,000 uh, after a no show with her sister in a doubles match at Wimbledon. But it's just the way she puts it, she has to preserve her precious mental health. And I don't mean to seem too hard on a young woman, but I just think she's not understanding. First of all, if you're tough enough to win professional tennis matches, You're tough enough to take a bunch of whiny reporters. Secondly, you know, with all due respect for her mental health, she's pretty, she's an international superstar now. She makes huge amounts of money as a result of being an international superstar. And that's not to take away from her athletic ability, all the years of practice and all of that. But the press is part of that. And you don't get to use that and then just blow them off. I mean, I guess you can do it, but I think that's not going to get her a lot of good publicity. All right. Meanwhile, I just saw something yesterday. My friend Juan Williams is leaving the five. He is not leaving Fox News. Um, you might think maybe he's gotten tired of getting beat up by the rest of the panel. Um, but Juan lives here in Washington, and he has been commuting to New York. Uh, you know, she means getting on that train every week. For seven years now, obviously there was a break during the pandemic when everything was virtual. Now that they're going back to the studio, he's decided, you know, for family reasons, that he doesn't want to just be constantly spending five out of seven days a week uh, in a place where his family is not. So there's going to be a search for a new liberal panelist on the five. All right. uh, Before I get into further stuff, I guess since I'm in a kind of a pet peeve-like move, Um, This probably affects me more than most people because I have to do all kinds of prodigious research online so I can bring you this podcast. But I'm constantly now running up against paywalls. And I'm kind of mixed view of this because I think that news organizations, it's fine for them to charge because they got to be able to make some money. They're going to support newsrooms and original research and investigative reporting and all of that you know, they can give you a certain number of free articles per month and then you hit the paywall Well you got to decide if you want to pay. And I have a whole bunch of subscriptions that I pay out of my pocket. since so it's not expensed. Uh, subscriptions to major newspapers, subscriptions to uh, a couple of major magazines. But then there's, you know, these sites that I only use once in a while. Let's say Chicago Tribune, L.A. Times, Business Insider. And they're pretty tight on only giving you a couple of things and then you got to pay. And again, I'm not criticizing them, but I'm just, I think it's becoming a problem for people, which is how many subscriptions can you afford to have? It's kind of like the old days of debating uh, cable news. People would say, well, I only watch these channels, so I don't want to pay for ESPN, but it all comes in one bundle. Uh, And then there was a movement for more sort of a la carte choices. Um, And you have that now in the entertainment side as well. For example, uh, I subscribe to Netflix. I subscribe to Amazon Prime. That gives me a lot of stuff. But I don't also have subscriptions to Hulu, to the new HBO Max, even though I pay for HBO in my uh, cable bundle. Uh, What else? The Peacock Network and on and on and on. I mean, I think it's going to be, people are just going to get maxed out. It's not even people who can afford it. It's like, do you want to be paying for 10 different movie services? Do you want to be paying for 15 different newspapers and magazines uh i think at some point i guess apple news tries to do this and a couple others there'll be some bundling well if you pay one monthly fee you can get this 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 and this um but it just gets frustrating for me and i gotta try to find other ways to get it you know when it's just i just want the one article because that's the only day that i'm going to need it uh but you got to pay for it anyway all right enough of this whining let's get down to number one Uh, This whole debate, which I've talked about on Fox and reported on Fox extensively, about the Wuhan lab theory. Did coronavirus originate in that lab, whether it was an accident, whether it wasn't an accident, did it escape from the lab? And you've heard me talk at length, if you are fans of this podcast, about how the media just completely and totally blew it off, refused to entertain it criticize anybody who said it, criticize Trump for floating it, criticize Republicans for floating it like Tom Cotton, criticize conservatives for saying, hey, we've got to take a serious look at this. All of a sudden, boom, Wall Street Journal, which does have a paywall, uh, reports that uh, U.S. intelligence is taking it more seriously. And suddenly, boom, uh, everybody's got to recalibrate their positions. So here's The Washington Post today, President Biden saying yesterday, he's asked U.S. intelligence agency to, quote, Redouble their efforts to determine the origin of COVID-19, an abrupt departure from the previous White House position of relying on the WHO to uncover how the contagion started. Yeah, I don't, have, I don't have any faith in the WHO either because I don't think the WHO has any interest in pressuring China. I don't know that we can successfully pressure China into providing more answers and more transparency into what happened, this worldwide pandemic that has killed so many people around the globe. The new message reflects a notable shift in some prominent scientist's assessment of that the virus all but certainly jumped from an animal species to humans. That had been the kind of conventional wisdom. You've heard Anthony Fauci say that's the most likely. The theory that most recently gained traction actually had gained traction before, but the mainstream media wrote it off as just being a Trump-slash-Republican-slash-conservative thing so they could beat up on China. This virus has killed more than 34 million people worldwide. I think we need to know how it got started. Did it accidentally escape from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China? Now, it's not conclusive. We don't know. But there's more and more circumstantial evidence. So what Biden is doing here is a little bit of CYA uh, because he's under fire for not taking this more seriously. And here he is saying, look, there does appear to be a split in the U.S. intelligence community, Um, And the Biden White House has now said this, that there's one faction that believes it is much more likely that it did come from the lab. And there's another faction that tends to discount that and thinks it started with an animal species or some other naturally occurring explanation. Some Republicans pushed the idea early on that the Wuhan lab, rather than a natural transmission from animals, was at fault. Among them, former President Donald Trump. Who often used inflammatory language to describe the virus's origins in China. Well, this is why it became so incredibly politicized. You know, if you wanna if you want to get further insight into why reporters wouldn't even do this, so there's a reporter whose main job, whose main job is to cover COVID nineteen for the New York Times. The name is Apuva Mandavili. She's a New York Times reporter, and apparently she doesn't think very much of this theory. So even after after the stuff hit the fan, everybody was recalibrating, well, maybe there's more circumstantial evidence, even the Biden administration changing the tone, even Anthony Fauci saying, well, I still think it's not likely, but I'm totally open to an investigation. We need a complete investigation, and so forth and so on. Here's a tweet written by Mandevilli. Someday we will stop talking about the lab leak theory and maybe even admit its racist roots. But alas, that day is not today. So the New York Times reporter, this is not a columnist or a commentator, thinks it's racist to suggest that this originated in a Chinese left. Look, it may have been an accident. I'm not saying this was deliberately concocted by the Beijing regime as a bioweapon, but she thinks it's racist. Then she later deleted the tweet. Uh, I think that gives you an, an, an insight into how ideology and politics influence the mainstream media's decision to, by and large, not only not investigate this theory, but to mock it, to dismiss it, to ridicule those who pushed it. For example, Tom Cotton, I read you yesterday, those headlines. I did this on the air, New York Times and Washington Post, talking about fringe theory and conspiracy theory except that fringe and conspiracy theory, and that was only three months ago when Tom Cotton got those headlines, Republican senator, is now worthy of redoubling the efforts according to President Joe Biden. Uh, oh, this man, DeVille has said, okay, I'm deleting this tweet. I hate deleting tweets. Uh, a lot of clown emojis, allusions to CCP, Communist uh, Party of China. Also, my fronting corporate interests, All right, she got beat up on Twitter, so she deleted it. But the thing about the racist aspect of it, well, that's what they think. All right, National Review following up. Oh, interview with Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, telling National Review uh, that he has a very low opinion of the Biden administration's efforts to date to get to the bottom of the coronavirus pandemic. They haven't lifted a finger, as I understand it, Pompeo said in this interview, they haven't even raised it with Xi Jinping. I don't know that it was raised when National Security Advisor Sullivan and Secretary Blinken went to Anchorage. I don't know that they laid down their demands, nor do I know if they told them, in the case that you don't comply with these demands, here are the costs we're going to impose on you. Now, it is true that... The Trump administration took a much more aggressive stance toward China because it was also fighting with China over tariffs and there was a trade war. So all kinds of threats were done. But even when Pompeo was secretary of state, they didn't make much progress in getting Chinese authorities to open up about making scientists available to answer these questions about the lab. But now, of course, you know, once you're out of office, it's easier to take potshots at your successors, which is not to say there's no point at all into what he is saying. Uh, this story in National View says that the intelligence community has coalesced around two likely scenarios but hasn't reached a definitive conclusion. Yeah, that's the problem. Two different scenarios. One involves the lab and one doesn't involve the lab. All right, story number two. This is just a wild tale. I don't end up knowing whether it's true or not, but it's got all the elements for kind of a thriller. Make a really good sort of TV movie. All right, um, this was reported by ESPN. This is an ESPN exclusive. It involves Donald Trump, naturally, but not when Donald Trump is, it was president. It involves Donald Trump back in 2008 when he's basically celebrity b- businessman, casino owner, hotel, franchiser, golf course owner, uh, The Apprentice, and all of that. And at the time in 2008, according to uh, ESPN, there was the whole huge sports uh, fracas over the New England Patriots and what became known as Spygate. And what Spygate was, was the New England Patriots got caught and were fined. Uh, the Bill Belichick, still the Patriots uh, uh, coach, fined $500,000 uh, for secretly videotaping the defensive coaches In a game against the New York Jets, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell found they violated league rules. They were, you know, picking off signs, and it became called uh, Spygate. So here's where the plot thickens. Okay. Arlen Specter was, the late Arlen Specter, was a Republican senator from Pennsylvania at the time. He uh, was interested in having a congressional investigation of the Patriots' and Spygate. Now, what ESPN is reporting is that um, Trump, for a very long time, and this was true also while he was president, was pretty good friends with the owner of the Patriots, Robert Kraft. And so at that time, supposedly, according to this story, on behalf of Robert Kraft, Trump met with Senator Arlen Specter in 2008 to offer him, quote, a lot of money in Palm Beach, if the senator would drop his investigation, which he was spearheading, into the New England Patriots. And this comes on the record from the late senator's son, Shannon Spector. He said to ESPN on the record that that Trump intervened. Uh, Now, there's a lot of denials here. Um, For example, Jason Miller, spokesman for Trump, writing to the Washington Post, this is completely false, we have no idea what you're talking about. Representatives for the Patriots didn't comment, but a spokesman said that Kraft, quote, never asked Donald Trump to talk to Arlen Specter on his behalf. Mr. Kraft is not aware of any involvement of Trump on this topic. So, um, but here's Specter's son saying, you know, we can't ask Arlen Specter, who I knew pretty well uh, covered him uh, because of the committees that he was on. His son is saying, this is what my dad told me. My dad told me, and and it never happened, you know, and and it was the form of campaign contributions. It wasn't a bribe. Um, So we do hear from Spector in in a memoir he wrote in 2012. On the signal stealing, a mutual friend had told me that if I laid off the patriots, there'd be a lot of money in Palm Beach. So Spector is kind of sort of confirming it, but what does that mean, a lot of money in Palm Beach? Well, uh, his son says he met with Trump. Trump was acting as a messenger for Robert Kraft. And his son uh, says um, the reference was campaign contributions because even though uh, Specter was a Republican, he was a liberal Republican. And at the time, Trump was kind of a left leaner in New York. And uh, he did contribute uh, uh, repeatedly specter's campaign so it's not ludicrous you know is this the kind of stuff that goes all the time hey if you could see you were clear to doing this i'd certainly want to support you does that cross the line into bribery did this thing even happen i don't know but presented for your consideration don't go anywhere more buzzbeater coming your way in just a moment all right number three uh you know i did a whole rant really uh, the other day on gridlock wrote a column by gridlock on capitol hill how reporters are always sort of churning up these stories well there was another meeting at the white house and their uh, counter proposal and there could be something and in the end 98 percent of the time it collapses now i hope i'm wrong on some of this stuff so infrastructure it it has a pulse uh, but it barely has a pulse it's kind of on life support uh, but now this morning new news uh republican senator shelley moore capito has come out with a counter proposal to the Biden counter proposal. The Republicans have upped their offer to nine hundred and twenty-eight billion. They had been at five hundred plus billion. Biden had been at two point three trillion. He came down to one point seven trillion. So if you have the GOP at almost one trillion and you have the Biden White House at one point seven trillion, that's still a huge gap. But it sounds like some progress is being made. Except then you get down into the details. So here, um, there's still a big disagreement. This is why I think the Flink falls apart in the end. And again, I hope I'm wrong um, about how to pay for it. So the GOP plan proposes more than 500 B for roads, 98 billion for public transit, 46 billion for passenger rail, more than 70 billion for water infrastructure. Plus, they recommend additional spending for ports, waterways, airports, and broadband. Okay, so Biden gets broadband out of it. Um, But they basically want it to be traditional infrastructure, not all the liberal wish list items that the Biden White House is throwing in. But the problem is Biden is recommending more than $2 trillion on a whole range of spending, including uh, care for senior citizens, parents, families. Uh, Look, he can kick that over into another bill. Remember, he's got multiple... $2 trillion bills, more on that in a second. Uh, But it doesn't address the question about payment because either you can borrow us money and basically we just end up printing money or you pay for it as Biden does. This used to be a thing in Congress. You want to spend money, you pay for it. Both parties kind of sort of agreed to it. They just disagreed on how to do it. So Biden wants to finance it by raising taxes on corporations, which he promised to do in the campaign, by the way. He would raise the, um, the capital gains tax to about half, let's see, what are the numbers? It had been at 35%. Donald Trump got it down to 21%. Biden wants to put it at 28%. So not as high as it was before Trump, but certainly higher than Trump has it at now. That brings me to this New York Times story. You'll be hearing about a lot about this in a couple of days and don't hit fast forward, don't hit pause. I know budget stories are boring, but there's a lot of money involved there and I'll, I'll make it interesting. Um, the Times got a hold of the Biden budget. You know, presidents have to produce an annual budget. President Biden is going to propose a six trillion dollar budget tomorrow. Now, the federal budget had been about four trillion, so that's a thirty-three percent increase in spending, and what's more, it doesn't even include the one-time. This is just the regular spending to pay for, you know, the, the Defense Department and the EPA and the HHS and Medicare and all that, and all the zillions of other programs. Um, but that doesn't include the $2 trillion in COVID stimulus. Doesn't intru- include the however many trillion gets passed on infrastructure, if it does. Doesn't include this other American Families Act, which is well over a trillion. Uh, so, geez. So the New York Times has a very straight story, but this is pretty alarming stuff. Even if you don't care as much about the deficit as I do, I mean, Joe Biden is basically blowing up the deficit here, here just as Donald Trump did with his tax cuts, uh, just as George W. Bush did with his tax cuts and spending, just as Barack Obama did, but, you know, you can't pay lip service anymore. So this is the way the Times puts it. Um, total spending, by the way, this is just $6 trillion now, would rise to $8.2 trillion by 2031. Well, who the hell knows what the situation will be then. But the proposal shows that in an effort to, you know, here's the, here's the rhetoric, in an effort to help more Americans attain the comforts of a middle-class life, and lift U.S. industry to better compete globally in the economy Uh, and to also do climate change. Biden wants to spend all this money, all this money, the U.S. would run deficits that would just simply explode. Next year, the federal budget deficit would hit $1.8 trillion. We used to argue about whether it would ever hit a trillion, $1.8 trillion. When I say deficit, in other words, Money we don't have, money that has to be borrowed in the marketplace, financed by bonds mostly, paid for by average Americans, which then hold the debt. Even as the economy is rebounding from the horrible uh, pandemic recession, um, even though the economy is predicted to grow at the fastest annual rate since the early 1980s, total debt held by the public would exceed the value of economic output, in other words, rising to 117% of the size of the economy within some years. What? In other words, we will owe more money, which of course just sends interest rates ballooning, I mean interest payments ballooning, than the entire economic output of the United States of America. This is crazy. By 2024, so that's only three years away, it would break the record set in World War II when we had to borrow huge amounts of money because we were trying to defeat the Nazis. By 2024, debt would rise, as a share of the economy, would rise to the highest level in American history, eclipsing the World War II record. I'll tell you folks, whether you're conservative, whether you're liberal, this is, now look, this is a budget proposal. Biden's obviously not gonna get everything he wants on Capitol Hill, but even so, the idea that these numbers are being thrown around, I mean, this is crazy. I'm all for important priorities, but you know, the country ultimately can't keep borrowing money forever. You want to have more money for broadband and elder care and child care and preschool and community college, okay, you have to pay for it. There's only two choices. You raise taxes or you cut spending. There are painful choices. Uh, the Republicans tend to cut taxes. The Democrats can, tend to boost spending and raise taxes. That's what every election ultimately is about, aside from other issues. And this Biden budget is going to give a lot of fodder to the GOP. Trust me on that. Okay, let's move on to number four. Uh, The briefing was done yesterday filling in Karine Jean-Pierre because Jen Psaki was off or traveling or something. And so that's the first time she's done it. Uh, A lot of people, she got a lot of attention because she made history as... The first black woman to conduct a White House briefing in 30 years, she's a deputy White House press secretary, the first to do so in the on-camera briefing age, and the first out gay woman to conduct a briefing as well. Uh, Jen Psaki said she crushed it, she was great. Um, Now Jen Psaki had—originally she wasn't going to join the Biden administration. Then she said uh, she would do the press secretary job for a year. Now Politico reports that, well, she's going to stay for more than a year. And look, when you're working for the president of the United States and he says, you're doing a great job and I need you, you stay. Now, I understand why she originally said a year. It was an offhand comment. It wasn't like an ironclad commitment because she's got young kids at home. And these are ball buster jobs to mix gender metaphors. Um, So now she's telling colleagues that she's happy to stay on longer. She just won't walk out the door at the one year mark. So that me, I mean, the reason this comes up is, will Karine Jean-Pierre um, be the successor as press secretary? Well, she might. She might not be. Also read, and this is interesting because Karine Jean-Pierre is obviously a full-fledged member of the Biden White House, that she's in a long-term relationship um, with CNN anchor Suzanne Malveaux. They have a daughter together. I don't know if this raises any questions. Obviously, Suzanne Malveaux, who I like very much, doesn't cover the White House, but she must deal with White House stories. Anyway, all this stuff eventually comes out. All right, number five. We'll wrap this up with Amazon buying MGM for $8.5 billion. Now, why does Jeff Bezos want to own Metro Goldwyn Mayer? Well, for one thing, it's got the James Bond franchise, Thelma and Louise, Rocky. um, But it's interesting, isn't it? So Jeff Bezos absolutely dominates online commerce. Then he he turns to the sort of tangible economy, buys Whole Foods, buys the Washington Post. That's not through Amazon, but it's certainly a print and ink newspaper. Um, And now, and, and opens certain stores, Amazon stores, and now he wants to own a film studio so the reason he's willing to pay far more money than others, Apple was looking at buying it, Comcast was looking at buying it, is MGM really worth that much money? Uh, I hadn't realized this, but here in the New York Times, says a studio, it's been shopped around for months, um, has a big pre-1986 film library that was already sold off decades ago. Sony Pictures has the lot. Warner Brothers owns such classic titles as Singing in the Rain and Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind but it does have this crown jewel, the James Bond franchise. Uh, There's all the streaming competition, Disney+, HBO Max, Apple TV+, Paramount+, everything's plus, plus, plus. Plus means open your wallet and pay the plus payments. But what what Amazon really cares about is Prime. Amazon Prime provides an amazing amount of money to Bezos's um, franchise. And so... Even the, the 007 thing, Amazon will only own 50% of Bond. The other half is owned by some woman and her brother. Um, and they have creative control. But here's the thing. Amazon Prime Video, original content, TV shows, movies, hasn't had many huge hits. There's certainly been a few. But, you know, pales compared to Netflix. Pales compared to some of these online services. Disney certainly is becoming very successful uh, since it bought the assets of Fox in terms of the entertainment assets, and the Fox Studio. So the more that Amazon can offer uh, good video service as an incentive to get Prime, which means you can, you know, you get one day delivery on a lot of stuff, but you got to pay, I think it's up to now $119 a year. So that's why... MGM is worth so much because just whatever movies are available from the film library, from the Bond series, and so forth and so on, if it makes more people pay Amazon 119 bucks a year, uh, that is its economic engine. I mean, Amazon obviously makes huge money from a lot of things. But, you know, what other e-commerce company has people paying an annual fee? It's one thing to pay an annual fee for Netflix and you get all this uh, prime content. When you pay an annual fee to Amazon, you know, you get the Amazon video, you get other perks, but basically you get the free shipping. The free shipping is why people pay because if they're ordering all kinds of stuff, it comes to the door day and night, the Amazon vans, you can't go out now without tripping over an Amazon van. That's what this deal is about. That's what the MGM deal is about. Um, that 119 bucks. Oh, here, there's an interesting uh, factoid here. Households with prime memberships typically spend $3,000 a year on Amazon. That's more than twice what with households without the membership pet, uh, spend. So there it is. Ding, 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 ding. If you have Prime, you spend more because you say, hey, I'll order this or that free shipping. And to get you to get Prime, they want to offer the perks. Prime Video is one of the perks. And that's why Jeff Bezos, who by the way has the money to do this, I mean, uh, Amazon is sitting on uh, about $71 billion in cash. Wowza. So let's just say he can afford it. Hey, hope you have a great day. Always appreciate your being along for the ride. Apple iTunes and other places if you want to get this in your inbox. We'll see you all tomorrow with more BuzzFeed.